Okay, well, a blessing to you all, and welcome back to my open-air pulpit. I want to talk about the rapture today, a subject which is very much attacked, and uh, some people, sadly, are not only questioning it, which is fine in and of itself, but they are also rejecting it, and uh, making the case that the rapture is satanic. Let's see what the Word of God says about this subject. I want to start in Titus, chapter 2, verse 13 looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Looking for that blessed hope, the rapture of the church and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. He's our Savior and he's our God. He's our God and he is our saviour, who gave himself for us, 14, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, past, present, and future sins, and purify himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. You are saved unto good works, but your good works in and of themselves don't save you. It's all about grace. Please go to Isaiah chapter 26, please. I've got a lot of scriptures to look at today. Uh, Isaiah 26, and let's start it from verse 19. Thy dead men shall live together with my dead body, so they arise. Awake and sing, ye that dwell in dust, for thy dew is as the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Over my dead body, that old Cliche, thy dead men shall live. Together with my dead body shall they arise. Partly pictured in Matthew 27, 51 to 53, and Ephesians 4, 8 to 10, the Lord comes up out of the ground, out of the tomb, and he takes the righteous dead back to glory with him. And it says, some of the saints were seen walking around Jerusalem. So that's a partial picture of the resurrection slash rapture. 20. Come, my people, enter thou into thy chambers, and shut thy doors about thee. Hide thyself, as it were, for a little moment, until the indignation be overpassed. Come, my people, in reference to those that are saved, in reference to those which have appropriated the atonement, enter thou into thy chambers, and shut thy doors about thee. Hide thyself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation be overpassed in reference to the seven-year period referred to as a great tribulation, Daniel's 70th week, Jacob's trouble. There are many types and shadows in the Word of God. Sometimes we can get a lot of uh, good material, very clear material, uh, explicit material from those types and shadows, other times you have to dig a little deeper. Look at 21. For behold, the Lord cometh out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth shall also disclose her blood and shall no more cover her slain. Lord, uppercase, L-O-R-D, in reference to Jehovah, in reference to Yahweh, Elohim, in reference to Jesus Christ. What a great scripture to show that our great God and Saviour Titus 
chapter 213, is God. El Gabor, the Eternal One. Go to Zechariah 14, please. This will be a crash course into eschatology. And uh, my plan will be to look at Revelation when I finish going through Acts of the Apostles. In fact, tomorrow I will start, Lord willing, Acts chapter 12. And it's somewhat fortuitous, I suppose, that Acts 12 will be called, recorded by myself, covered by myself, during the 12th month of the year. But uh, Zechariah 14, 5, And he shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azel. Yea, he shall flee, like as he fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, the king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come. And all the saints with thee. The Lord, uppercase, my God. Zechariah referring to the one true God, Jehovah. And the Lord, my God, shall come. In reference to the second advent. And all the saints with thee. When he comes back to all in reign for a thousand years, we come back with him. Go to John chapter 11. So as I say, join me tomorrow for Acts 12. 11 a.m. UK time, sharp, and you might get a blessing. John chapter 11, I'll get there shortly. Script with scripture, I don't believe in doing a word study. I think these scriptures interpret themselves. John 11, Jesus speaking, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die, believest thou this. I am the resurrection and the life. What a statement to make. He that believeth in me, no lordship salvation, no turn more of your sins in order to be saved, no sinner's prayer. Though he were dead physically, yet shall he live. Pictured in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Revelation chapter 20. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die, in reference to those of us which will be alive when he comes back to rapture us. Believest thou this? But do you believe that? Are you actually born again? A lot of people say they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of people claim to believe the Bible. But do you really believe it? Are you truly born again? One last time. I am the resurrection and the life. He is the dispenser of everlasting life. He that believeth in me no works involved, though he were dead physically, yet shall he live. Now you can spiritualize that, but be careful if you do that, because you are spiritually dead before you are spiritually made alive, but the context here is in reference to physical death, in reference to Lazarus. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Everlasting life in heaven compared to everlasting torture, torment in hell. Same concept. If you sin against God and die without believing on the Lord, you suffer forever. And you say, why? Well, because God is eternal. When you sin against an eternal being, there are eternal consequences. You see, man was made to worship God. Man has a soul. His soul is eternal. But because man fell through sin, and God said, I can't redeem you unless you believe on my son, therefore, you will spend eternity either in heaven or in hell. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. 
everlasting life without any end. Believest thou this? What a great scripture. Go to 1 Corinthians, please. So if you sin against God and you die in your sin, you go to hell forever. And you think, why would that be? Because your soul is eternal. You were made for eternal fellowship with the Lord, not eternal condemnation. But hell was made for the devil and his angels. Why would you go there? 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at 7, please. So that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blameless, where you are already sinless through your imputed righteousness, which you received from the Lord's uh, offer of everlasting life. And go back to the Old Testament, if you want to clear a picture of that. You get a man called Joseph, his father's favorite son. And uh, Joseph is given a coat by his father, and he puts that coat on, and his brethren hate him for it. That's a picture of Christ's imputed righteousness. So when it says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what it means. Put on his imputed righteousness. So you're already blameless through an imputed righteousness, but in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, probably in reference to the second advent, probably in reference to the judgment seat of Christ, which comes right after the rapture of the church. Go to chapter 15, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Also keep in mind this, that the word of God is written to, on many occasions, more than one group of people. For example, Paul would have written 1 Corinthians, first of all, to his initial audience. That should be, uh, that should be obvious. And also he's going to write it to people like ourselves, living in the church age. But he's also going to write it to the tribulation saints. And I think what's going to happen is, once the church has been removed from the earth, the two witnesses will come, and they will unlock greater mysteries from Scripture. And on top of that, you'll get the 144,000 Jewish, male, virgin evangelists also unlocking great Scriptures from the Word of God. You see, the Bible is a Jewish book. Don't ever forget that. Jewish men wrote the Jewish Bible for the Jewish people. But we get a look in, we are grafted in, because the Jews, for the most part, rejected their prophets and kings back in the Old Testament, and they rejected the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament, and his apostles in the New Testament as well. As I say, the Bible is a Jewish book, first and foremost to the Jews. I think we need to understand that, because sometimes we think that this is a Gentile book. It's not. It's a Jewish book. I think a little knowledge of uh, the Messianic movement isn't a bad thing, but don't get caught away. Don't get caught up with uh, Sabbath observance and dressing up and feast days, so on and so forth. We are set free from all of that. Chapter 15, verse 23, please. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, after they that are Christ's at his coming. Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Three parts of the Lord's coming there. You've got those that are Christ that is coming. I'll get to that term in a moment. Then cometh the end, tribulation, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even a father, when he should have put down all rule and all authority and power. But, first of all, he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. So, 
return of Christ with the church. And you got that from chapter 1 of this epistle. He's going to put down all enemies. Then he'll hand the kingdom back to his father. But he's going to reign, first of all, 25 in reference to the thousand-year reign. The last enemy, 26, that shall be destroyed is death. And then eternity commences. It's in chapter 15. 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. You see, you're no good. I'm no good. In essence, we are no good. When the Bible says there's not a just man upon the face of the earth, that's true. When the Bible says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, that's true. When the Lord Jesus Christ said nobody's good but God, that's true. You're no good, my friends. I'm no good. And if you tell that to people, they don't like it. They like to think that they have some good in them. They like to think that their religion has some truth or some substance or some quality about it. It doesn't. Outside of God, the scripture, and the Bible believer, no one and nothing is holy. No one or nothing is any good. It's as simple as that. That's why you were told you must be born again. You must be born from above. 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Let's break this down. Behold, I show you a mystery, something which wasn't revealed up until this point of time. Yes, you get some Old Testament types and shadows, and I'll come back to that in a moment. But explicitly, it wasn't revealed until Paul arrived on the scene. And you might be a Catholic, thinking that Peter was your first pope. But after Acts 12, Peter isn't found in the scriptures, apart from chapter 15, of course, until first and second Peter. Peter wasn't shown the third heaven. Paul was. Peter wasn't shown future events. John was. Why would you follow a man called Simon Peter, who denied the Lord? And the Lord said to him, Get thee behind me, Satan. Why would you follow a man called Peter, who taught law and grace? Galatians chapter 2. Why would you follow a man called Peter, who was economical with the truth? Acts chapter 10, reference to associating with Simon the Tanner. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. But go back to 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Okay, some of us will never die. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Just like that. At the last trump, at the end of the church age. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. Isaiah 26, Matthew 27, Ephesians chapter 4, and we shall be changed, new bodies, glorified bodies. You see, our bodies sleep, not our souls. We know from Ephesians 1 and 2 that when a saved man or woman dies, their soul goes straight to be with the Lord. But their bodies sleep. And that's something which the SDA have never been able to really understand. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible should have put on incorruption, and this mortal should have put on immortality, then should be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. 
For thanks be to God, which giveth us a victory, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know the Son of God? Have you received him as your Saviour? Have you believed on him? Have you trusted in him to be saved? If you haven't, you're lost. But if you have, you're saved. And one day, the last trump, which heralds the end of the church age, as quick as that, in the twinkling of an eye, you will be changed. You get a new body, and up you go to be with the Lord. So you are already in the heavenly places, in a spiritual sense, but until the rapture occurs, you're only partially with the Lord. So when the rapture comes, for those of us which are alive, we go to be with the Lord. We are changed because we can't go into heaven as we are because our blood is no good. And for those of us which have died pre the rapture, they too will be raptured. They won't miss out on this great event. Go to First Thessalonians. Crash course now. First Thessalonians chapter 1, look at verse 9, please. For they themselves show of us what men of entering in we had unto you, how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. There's no repentance there in reference to turning from all of your sins. There's no lordship salvation there. There's no say a quick prayer and you'll be saved. You turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. That, in a nutshell, is what repentance is. And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. You are waiting. You are in anticipation. You are listening for a sound, not a sign. And you are waiting for the Son of God to come back for you. You are looking for the Christ, if you will, to come back for you, not the Antichrist. He's delivered us from the wrath to come. In reference to God's wrath, you see, when you sin against God, only God himself can forgive you. The Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living, eternal God. Our God is a consumer of fire. And that goes back to my earlier point, that when you sin against God, only, himself, only he himself can forgive you. But on top of that, when you sin against an eternal God, there are eternal consequences. You see, you were built to worship him forever. When he made man, he didn't want man to fall. Man wasn't made to fall. Man wasn't made to go to hell forever. Of course, he knew that man would fall. That's not the subject altogether, but man was made for eternal fellowship. So one more time. To wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. On top of that wrath, or wrath, as the Americans pronounce it, you could, if you want to apply that to the tribulation, when God pours out his wrath, or wrath, on the world, and he will do so. But the whole point of Daniel's 70th week, Jacob's trouble, Jacob's troubles, or the great tribulation, whatever term you wish to call it, it's not in reference to the church. We've been redeemed, we've been purified, Hold that thought. Chapter 2, 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Do you know every chapter in First Thessalonians ends with the Lord's return? 3.13. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable and holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. One more time. To the end he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God. Even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, with all his saints. Let's say we go through the tribulation. If we go through the tribulation, then are we going to hold to the view that 
at the end of the seven years, uh, the Lord raptures us. We have the marriage supper of the Lamb. We have the judgment seat of Christ. And we come back to the earth. I mean, is that how we're going to take that view? I mean, it's not impossible in the sense of God being able to do that. And it's not impossible in the sense that we could be raptured, have our marriage supper, judgment seat of Christ, rewards, so on and so forth, and come back to earth. But it's a pretty quick event, isn't it? At the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. He's coming back to rule and reign. And according to this, we're going to come back with him. Zechariah 4. I'll give you one from Colossians chapter 3. While it comes to my mind, look at verse 4, please. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall he also appear with him in glory. Ye shall also appear with him in glory. Can you not see the pattern here? We've been with him throughout the entire period of the Great Tribulation. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Chapter 4, 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have not hope. You can be sorrowful, you can mourn over a lost loved one, but why would you grieve? We're in a better place. I wonder you'll be with them. 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, that's what saves us, by the way. There's no lordship salvation. There's no turn of mourning your sins. There's no say a quick prayer. And you're going to be saved. It's believing on him and believing in him. But more specifically, it's believing on the Lord Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. That's what saves you. It's all about grace. God's righteousness at Christ's expense. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Those that have died, hoping that they would see the return of Christ, but missed it. 15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. Inspiration, this isn't Paul's opinion. He's speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Those that have died are not going to miss out on this great event. 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. The Lord himself, 16, shall descend from heaven with a shout, or with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. The Lord is not an archangel. Or an archangel is not the Lord. That's the mistake that the Jehovah's Witnesses make. The archangel, it could be Gabriel, it could be Michael, simply shouts. He proclaims the Lord's departure from heaven with the trump of God. Same language from 1 Corinthians. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Those that have died in anticipation for the Lord's return. It could be Stephen. It could be Lazarus. It could be even Paul who wrote this epistle. The dead are going to go up first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up 
there's your word rapture, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. You think to yourself, what other scripture can you give me, James? Is this all you've got for me? Hold that thought, 18. Wherefore comfort one another with these words. You're safe in Jesus, my friends. You don't need to be tormented by the Antichrist. Go back to the Old Testament. There's a man called Enoch, Genesis chapter 5. He was a friend of the Lord. He walked with the Lord, and the Lord took him. Picture the rapture. Enoch pictures a man on the earth before the great tribulation. But in Genesis chapter 5, you are one chapter, two chapters before the great flood, which pictures the great tribulation. Now bear with me. Enoch is a picture of a Gentile saved sinner who is removed from the earth before the great tribulation occurs. He never dies. He that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth on me shall never die. Okay. But Noah comes and he boards the ark, which is a type of Christ, and he goes through the tribulation and God preserves him, keeps him safe. So Noah is a picture of a tribulation saint. At the end of the flood, at the end of the tribulation, Noah comes out of the ark, Captain Noah, in the New Testament, Captain Jesus, and Noah and his children go into the promised land, the millennial kingdom. Noah's sons and their, daughter, uh, their wives excuse me, will marry, have children in the millennium, and those children will be born in the millennium, and they too will have to be born again. So Noah pictures a tribulation saint, along with his wife, sons, and their wives. The Lord preserves them through the flood, pitching the great tribulation, and they come out at the other end. Forward, fast forward to Elijah. He pictures a Jewish saved saint, living in the church age, who is raptured before the great tribulation. Now with Elijah... He is spared the Babylonian captivity, a 70-year period, whereas Jeremiah goes through it. So Jeremiah pictures somebody going through the tribulation, getting saved, if you will, in the tribulation, like Noah, getting saved in the tribulation, if you will. And Jeremiah, like Noah, is preserved throughout the Babylonian captivity of 70 years, or Noah's long stint in the ark. At the end of the Babylonian captivity, Elijah, uh, excuse me, Jeremiah, is able to uh, go into what's left of the world and start off afresh. Now, types and shadows aren't 100% uh, doctrinally correct, but you get an understanding of it. For example, uh, it says back in Psalm 22, they pierce my hands and my feet. Now, David speaking, but it's speaking about Jesus Christ. Also from the Old Testament, we have Lot, who is literally plucked out from Sodom and Gomorrah, picture of the world, by the angels. He's not punished. He's not consumed by the fire and brimstone, whereas not a million miles away is Abraham. So you take those men, Enoch, raptures, Raptured never dies, picturing a saved man who will never die but will be removed from the earth. You picture Noah going through the flood, 
coming out safely at the other end, picturing a tribulation saint who goes through, the tribulation comes out at the other end. You look at Elijah, who is removed from the earth before the Babylonian captivity, and then you've got the people like Jeremiah who go through the Babylonian captivity and are preserved and kept safe. First Thessalonians still, chapter 5, But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. Need to know. A well-known line from a well-known movie. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. The day of the Lord, the day of God, the day of the Lord Jesus, the day of Christ. I think this term, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord Jesus, is probably in reference to the same events. Now, I won't be dogmatic on that, but the day of the Lord, going back to the Old Testament, going to the New Testament, always pictures judgment, primarily for the world. Whereas we've had our judgments. When the Lord hung on the cross, he said, it is finished. So he's taken our punishment on himself. We've had our judgment in that sense. But the judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, the actual judgment seat of Christ, the beamer seat of Christ, is still to occur. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as to avail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. They, not you. For, but ye brethren, are not in darkness. Picture of judgment. That that day should overtake you as a thief. For ye, or ye are the children of light, and the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. There's a distinction here between them and us. We are the children of the light, not the children of darkness. 6. Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Be alert. Be aware of what is occurring. 9. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, there's that word again, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's two, there's two types of wrath, wrath, as I said before. There's one in reference to God's anger on sin, hell, and also God's anger, God's fury on the tribulation. But the pronouns here make a clear distinction between them and us. 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? He wants you to get a full reward at the judgment seat of Christ. Second Thessalonians uh, chapter 1. Let's pick it up in verse 5, please. Which is a manifold token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which ye also suffer. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flame and fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Let's break this down. Five, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgments of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. Now listen, you are not worthy of everlasting heaven, okay? Because you're not good in the sense of being sinless. So this term kingdom of God, this term 
to be counted worthy has to be in reference to the millennial kingdom. For which you also suffer. You suffer now as a Christian, one day it will be worth it. Seven again, and to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Angels plural, but Thessalonians mentioned angels singular. There's two different events here. In flame and fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God. Unsaved people. And that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mockers, scoffers, blasphemers. This is going to build to chapter 5 from 1 Thessalonians. Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. And from the glory of his power. Everlasting destruction. Everlasting torture. In reference to unsaved people. The two events are not the same. The rapture is for the church. The second advent, being the day of the Lord, is for the world. We are so careful when you study these scriptures. When he shall come to be glorified in his saints. And to be admired in all them that believe. Why? Because our testimony among you was believed in that day. When you study the scriptures, you will have to do one of two things. First of all, if you study a subject like eschatology, which is a pretty difficult subject to study, you get all the verses that teach the subject of eschatology. And let's say you get ten clear verses. You line them all up. Now, if nine verses give you a clear indication as to what you are uh, able to get from it, so if nine verses are clear on a particular subject, then that's your doctrine, you stick with it. If there are eight verses which are clear on that subject, you stick with it. If there are seven verses which are clear on that subject, stick with it. But if there are six verses and four are not clear, you've got a slight problem. If there are five verses which are clear and five are not clear, you can't build a doctrine on it. That's a cardinal theme of hermeneutics. You need at least seven verses to clearly uphold a doctrine of the rapture. And here Paul is speaking not about the rapture. Wherever comfort yourselves or comfort one another with these words. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Reference, oh, uh, referring to our safety in the Lord. Verses in flame and fire. To be punished with everlasting destruction. From the presence of his glory. From the glory of his power. Not the same event. 11. Wherefore also we pray always for you, that our God will count you worthy of this calling, and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness, and the work of power with faith. Or the work of faith with power, excuse me. That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you, and ye in him, according to the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That ye may be counted worthy of this calling. This is how it works when it comes to the millennial kingdom. We are saved, as far as our sins are concerned, by the death burial of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are kept saved by his death burial and ascension back to heaven. But to rule and reign with him in a thousand year reign of Christ, to be given five crowns, to be truly a part of that event, is conditional on what you do 
after you are saved, how you live for him. It's not automatic. So I think 5 and 11 set the foundation for the criteria for the kingdom of God. 2. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that that day of Christ is at hand. Let's break this down. We beseech you, brethren, now he's speaking to the church, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, not in reference to the rapture. This is the mistake that our post-trib brethren make. This is in reference to being united with him. Matthew 25, this will be in reference to reigning with him. This will be in reference to the thousand-year reign of Christ. Ruling and reigning. Are you worthy? Have you suffered for him? Did you pay a price to follow the Lamb whithersoever you went? That you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. They thought that they were going to see the return of Christ, and they said to themselves, what's going on here, Paul? We were told that we wouldn't be around when the uh, Lord returned. You see, as I said to you, there's three aspects of Scripture. The initial audience, the church age, and those at the end of the tribulation, or the tribulation saint. So the Thessalonians were slightly concerned, slightly wide. They were thinking that perhaps they were living through this imminent return of the Lord, and yet, how could that be? We were told we wouldn't see the Antichrist, we would see them, the, the Christ first. Three, let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come, except the coming of falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. First, Timothy chapter 4 speaks about a great falling away, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, all that is worshipped, so that he as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God, in reference to the third temple. You see, mischief makers had confused the Thessalonicans, the small group of Bible believers who loved the Lord, who had been told that they were looking for the Son to come back for them. They weren't told to look for the Antichrist. They weren't told to prepare for the Antichrist's arrival. And Paul has always happened to take the time to explain this to them. Five, remember you not? The one I was yet with you, I told you these things. He's told them many times. But he says, don't be deceived. The day of Christ cannot happen until there's a great falling away. This is a picture of apostasy. The son of perdition, the Antichrist, being revealed in the temple. And he has to be worshipped. But he goes and say in verse 7, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. He's saying, look, this isn't for you, first of all. This is in reference to those that have rejected the Lord. This is in reference to those that hated his return. This is in reference to those that will not be saved. Leaven, and for this cause, for this reason, God 
Shosendeum, strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned, who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Pull this together. He's saying the day of Christ, the second advent, cannot occur, will not occur, until there's a falling away, the man of sin has been revealed, and then he will be destroyed by Almighty God. So there are events which have to occur until such an occasion takes place. I think that's probably the main scriptures from the Pauline epistles. Uh, in fact, go to Revelation, please. Uh, Revelation chapter 19. Fourteen And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Ephesians 6, the church is referred to as a soldier, put on the whole armour of God. Uh, endure hardness as a good soldier of our Lord Jesus Christ. When he comes back, we come back with him, because we have been with him throughout the entire tribulation period. Look at chapter Four, Revelation chapter 4 and I appreciate this is a difficult subject to understand I think we need to be a bit more gracious those of us which are pre-trib to those that are perhaps mid or post-trib and for some of our post-trib brethren or our mid-trib brethren who like to attack us you know just give us a break don't be so quick to come at us we're all students of scripture we're all trying to learn how the Lord's return is going to affect us after this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me. Trumpet, again, talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show you things which must be hereafter. John is a type of the church, and he is going to be removed from the earth from chapter 4 until chapter 19, which I just given to you, when the Lord returns from heaven, with his armies, i.e. us. You see, Revelation 1 to 3 speaks about the church, but from chapter 4 to chapter 19, the church isn't mentioned once. Why? Because the church has been taken to heaven. Come up hither, and I will show you things which must be hereafter. So John is a type of the church, and you get it also from John chapter 19, when the Lord says to John on the cross, woman, or son, uh, he says to John, excuse me, this is your mother, and he says to Mary, this is your son. So John is a type of the church looking after Israel. Mary is a type of Israel. John is a type of the church. And that is alluded to in Matthew 25, when he, the Lord Jesus Christ judges everyone, the nations, and he says, you've been good to my brethren. Enter thou into the joy of my rest, or in the joy of your rest, good and faithful servants, so on and so forth. And that's partly down to how the church deals with Israel in the tribulation. Partly, but not completely. So I think that covers the main scriptures. Now, let's look at Matthew chapter 24. And I'll say this, that for some of our post-tribulation brethren, those guys also believe in what's called conditional security. And conditional security simply means that you can lose your salvation, in essence. 
and they think that the church has to go through the tribulation and they have to do A, B and C to survive the tribulation. Also, some, but not all, post-tribulational people are also anti-Semitic, unfortunately. You see, the whole attack, as I see it, against the rapture is based primarily on a lie. It's based on a false notion that somehow the Illuminati got involved with eschatology and they were able to influence uh, people from the last two or three centuries. And before that, the Jesuits got involved and they were able to influence people, going back even further than that, is foolishness. Keep this in mind, please, that the rapture is very much like Sola Scriptura or Sola Fide. For centuries, many biblical truths were lost due to the papacy. And when the reformers came along, they were able to rediscover Sola Scriptura and Sola Fide. Fast forward 100, 200 years, some of the early premillennial fathers were able to rediscover the scripture teaching the rapture and the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in great detail. You see, the reformers weren't the best when it came to being students of prophecy. And some say, well, who believed in the rapture before these great 17th, 18th century church leaders? Well, there's a man called Ephraim back in the 7th century, and he said that the Lord Jesus Christ would come for his church before the Antichrist arrived. So I take the position that these men, back in the 17th and 18th century, rediscovered something which had been lost, the rapture, the second coming, Israel going back into the Promised Land. Much like the Church Fathers, or excuse me, much like the Reformers, had rediscovered Sola Scriptura and Sola Fide 200 years before. It was lost. But for our post-tribulational brethren, some hold to conditional security, problematic. Some are anti-Semitic, which is a heresy. You've got to watch that particular group of people. Matthew 24, they always got like to quote this piece of scripture. Verse 1, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. Temple, temple, temple. Jury, and I don't mean J-U-R-Y, I mean J-E-W-R-Y, Jury, Israel, Matthew 24, is a Jewish Messiah speaking to the Jewish apostles about the Jewish temple. There's no church here. Two, and Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another, that shall not be thrown down. Thrown down, violent term, thrown down. That term is also found in Revelation in reference to Babylon, being thrown down. Thrown down, meaning the end of the old covenant. <clears throat> the temple was the pinnacle of Israel. The Jewish temple was the heart and life of Israel. And here the Messiah is saying, Can you not see all these things that should not be thrown, or not be left here one stone that should not be thrown down? In reference, first and foremost, to 70 AD, but as we read on, this has a much greater scope. And he sat upon the Mount of Olives, Israel again. The disciples, picturing the people of Israel, came unto him privately saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Three questions. And only here are these three questions put to the Jewish Messiah, under the law, pre his crucifixion. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. And yet so many people are being deceived 
so many people are following signs and wonders, people, preachers like these televangelists, like the Pope of Rome, cults, false teachers. Take heed that no man deceive you, and yet many are being deceived left, right, and center. Five, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Not some, not a few, but many. This happened pre-70 AD. Many false prophets were coming along, or had arrived. They were declaring to be the Messiah, and many fell for them. It's happening today. There are people all over the world who are claiming to be Jesus Christ today. And it will happen during the Great Tribulation as well. And many, not some, will, de will be deceived and follow them to perdition. <laughs> Eight. All these are the beginning of sorrows, building up to the second advent of the Lord Jesus Christ, building up to the tribulation, not to the church age. Nine. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you. And ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Not in reference to the early church, they weren't hated by all nations, but in reference to those alive during the Great Tribulation. Thirteen. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Oh, they love that scripture. The Calvinists say that if you don't persevere unto the end, you are not one of the elect. In other words, you were never saved to begin with. Whereas a charismatic will say, unless you persevere unto the end of your life, you will lose your salvation. And the dispensationalists come along and say that during the Great Tribulation, you have to persevere in order to be saved. And they teach the latter a faith and works package, <coughs> which is problematic. And what they say is this, that when the church has been raptured, when the church has been taken out of the world, those that are alive, those that get saved during the tribulation have to keep the Jewish law. They have to be circumcised. They have to uh, dress a certain way. They have to meet in a Jewish synagogue. They have to keep the Ten Commandments in order to stay saved. It's ridiculous. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. I'll come back to that in a moment. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. This is way beyond 70 A.D. And I challenge anybody who's a pre-trist to give a faithful exegesis concerning these verses. 15. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by down of the prophets down in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Jerusalem again. No church here. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Israel, let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house like you find in Acts chapter 10, in reference to Peter. See, the houses in Israel are flat, unlike those in the west. <laughs> Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. This is building up to 70 AD, when Titus came up against Jerusalem, surrounded it, ransacked it, and we know that during that awful time of uh, suffering, many people were killing their own children, eating their own children to survive. But a great event will occur during the Great Tribulation. 20. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. Sabbath day, we don't keep the Sabbath. We know from Hebrews 4 that Christ is our Sabbath rest. The context is Israel. It's Jewry. 21. For then shall be great tribulation 
such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. It's Jewry again, it's Israel again. Tribulation, God's punishment on the world. 22, and except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be justified or saved. But for the elect's sake, those days should be shortened. The elect's sake, those days will be shortened, probably in reference to the 144,000 Jewish male evangelists and people that get saved through their ministry. Because I think that when the Lord initiates the eschatological time clock, the two witnesses will come and they will unlock greater truths to the second advent of the Lord. We don't get the whole picture now during the church age, but on top of the two witnesses, the 144,000 are also going to be opening the word of God on a much deeper scale. You get that from Acts 2 when Peter stands up and it says, uh, back in Joel chapter 2, I'll pour, my, no, I'll pour of my spirit upon your sons and your daughters, they'll prophesy, they'll see this, they'll see that, they'll do this, they'll do that. And he says, what Joel is speaking about is now happening. But he goes and say, you'll see signs in the earth, or signs in the sun and the moon, which I get to, and this and that happening, which hasn't yet happened. So Peter is expounding further on Joel chapter 2, and I think the 144,000 and the two witnesses will expound further on Joel 2 as well. But for the sake of the elect, those chosen for service, not salvation, those days will be shortened. Why? Because it's going to be pretty hot. It's going to be pretty brutal during the tribulation. The water is going to be turned into poison. You're going to have scorpions. You're going to have pestilences, earthquakes. It's going to be rough. And on top of that, if you take the mark of the beast, you can't be saved. So I put the case forward that anybody who thinks we go through the tribulation and holds to eternal security, you know, what do you do, what do, you do with that piece of scripture? But if you hold to conditional security, you've got no chance, my friend. You see, your blood's no good. You're no good. I'm no good. Man is his best state. It's altogether vanity. <laughs> 23. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. You see, we live by faith, not by sight. And he's come back to find us. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. If it were possible, it's not. But if it was possible, even the elect would be deceived. And they're going to do great signs and wonders, like these magicians you see on the television. And they're going to deceive many people, but not the elect. Behold, I've told you before, and 25 is timeless. Behold, I have told you before. 26. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he's in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he's in the secret chambers, believe it not. Jesus will find you, my friends. Don't panic, don't worry. You know, what's going to happen if I'm not ready for him? You'll, you know, you'll be ready, even if you're not ready. That may sound like a bit of a contradiction, but it's not. You are saved, and your salvation is fixed upon what he did for you, not what you do for him. So he will find you. <coughs> don't panic. <coughs> don't start to fall apart if you think that you're going to miss it. 27. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Revelation 1.7. Every eye will see him. In fact, let me read that scripture to you now. 
it's got very cold in the last 30 minutes. I can see it's very misty behind me. Something out of a Sherlock Holmes movie. But praise the Lord, it's not raining. It's not windy. It's been pretty awful over the last few weeks. It's been impossible for me to come up to the open-air pulpit, so that's why you haven't seen much of me over the last two weeks. Revela Revelation chapter 1, 7, Behold, he cometh with clouds, Jesus Christ, of course, and every eye shall see him. No secret return, no invisible return, as the JWs would have you believe. Every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so, amen. This is in reference to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, not the rapture of the church. One more time. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. Could be the Romans, which we take to be the Catholic Church of today, is rather interesting. Could be the Jews, who betrayed him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Why? He's come back to judge them. Thessalonians 2. Even so, amen. And the last word of Revelation, even so, come Lord Jesus. Go back to Matthew 24. 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Hasn't yet happened this goes back to what I said a few moments ago in reference to Acts chapter 2, in reference to the prophecy from Joel chapter 2. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. <laughs> tribes, could it be in reference to the 12 tribes of Israel? Maybe. It says, they will see him, not you, they 31, and he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from the one end of heaven to the other. Let's break this down. The Son of Man comes in heaven, or comes from heaven. The sign of his return will be seen by those on the earth, all the tribes of the earth, mourning and wailing. They, the tribes, those that pierced him are going to see this. Not the church. <clears throat> 31. He sends his angels. Plural. Not angels. Singular. From Thessalonians 1. Angels plural. With a great sound of a trumpet. And they shall gather together his elect. From the four winds. So they will gather. Together his elect. From the four winds. You got. North. East. South. West. Okay. Now stay with me now. They're going to gather his elect. From the four winds. From the one end of heaven. To the other to go up to Jerusalem. This is not in reference to the rapture, whether it's a post-trib view you hold to, or a mid-trib view that you hold to, and it certainly can't be in reference to a pre-trib view, because this is at the end of the tribulation. 34. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. The generation alive when the Lord returns. 37, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Apostasy, few being saved. 40, then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, 
the one shall be taken and the other left. Not in reference to the rapture. In reference to being taken in judgment, like Noah's generation, like Lot's generation. So the angels will be sent to, first of all, take some for judgment and leave others to go up to the millennial kingdom. Matthew 25. I'm running out of time here. 44. Therefore be also ready for such an hour as you think not the Son of Man cometh. That's timeless. In reference to the rapture or in reference or in reference to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. 33. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. Ye has to be a collective term for jury. Jews alive on the earth, Jews that get saved on the earth during the Great Tribulation. This is a crash course on uh, eschatology, and I hope you've been able to keep up with me. A lot of ground to cover. Mark 13, in the remaining moments, and this is the cross-reference, verse 9. But take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to councils. Sanhedrin. Check your Greek text, you Greek buffs. Check your text of Septus. It's Sanhedrin. Not Manchester Council, not Glasgow Council, not Leeds Council, but the Sanhedrin. And in the synagogues, you should be beaten. And you should be brought before rulers. Acts 3 to 7, in reference to the Jews. And kings for my sake. Acts 19 to 28, in reference to Paul and co. For testimony against them. So partially in reference to 70 AD, partially in reference to a greater period. And also keep this in mind that the early church were Jewish and they met and worshipped in synagogues. And during the Great Tribulation, excuse me, those that get saved in the Tribulation are going to be meeting and worshipping in Jewish synagogues. There's nothing wrong with worshipping in a building. There's nothing wrong with worshipping, you know, with his bricks and mortar. But be careful if you are part of organized religion. Ten, and the gospel must first be preached among all nations. One more time, and the gospel must be published among all nations. Published online, published in the press. Verse 10, a Gentile number. This is clearly in reference to eschatology. Now the wind has picked up. Thirteen, and ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. He that endures unto the end, he that overcomes, in reference to being faithful, in reference to overcoming the deception, the apostasy, you'll be saved from the deception, from the apostasy, not from your sins. And I'll give you that from Luke 21, if I get time to further expound my hypothesis on that. But a Calvinist, one more time, will say that you have to persevere in order to demonstrate election. A charismatic will say that you have to persevere in order to stay saved. And a full-blown dispensationalist will say you have to endure in order to be saved in the Great Tribulation. Foolishness. Foolishness. On top of that, it cheapens grace. 20, cross-reference back to Matthew 24, and except that Lord had shortened those days, no flesh should be saved. But for the elect's sake, 144,000 in co, whom he hath chosen for service, not salvation, he hath shortened the days. 22, for false Christs and false prophets shall arise and shall show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. But it's not, a, it's not, a, it's not possible 
But if it were possible, if it were possible, these false prophets would deceive the elect. 23, but take ye heed, behold, I foretold you all things. Again, it's timeless. Uh, 26, and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of great power and glory. They, probably in reference to the world, but on top of that, also in reference to tribulation saints. Son of Man also is in reference to Israel's description of him, whereas in the epistles we refer to him as the Son of God. 27, and then shall he send his angels and shall gather together his elect from the four winds from the uttermost part of the earth to the uttermost, the uttermost parts of heaven. Let's break that down. He will send his angels and they're going to gather together his elect from the four winds, north, south, east, west, from the uttermost part of the earth in reference to those saved in the tribulation to the uttermost part of heaven in reference to those saved before the tribulation. Why is this going to happen? So we can go up to meet the king in Jerusalem. 35. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh at even, or at midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning. Lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. That's timeless. In reference to getting a full reward at the judgment seat, but also in reference to tribulation saints being aware that his arrival would be imminent. 37. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. Watch for the Son of God. Watch for the Christ, not the Antichrist. Luke 21, and I'll conclude. Luke 21. Matthew, Mark, Luke are the synoptics, and uh, they cover the return of Christ, whereas John doesn't cover it in any clear terminology anyway. Luke 21, 20. And when you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Partly 70 AD, partly the Great Tribulation. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out, and let not them which are in the countries enter therein too. It's a no-go area. This is now going to be way beyond 70 AD, probably in reference to Armageddon. For these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. Matthew 24, 34, God's vengeance, judgment on the world, not on the church. But one to them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. For there shall be great distress in the land, and wrath upon this people, wicked and unbelieving Israel. But on top of that, the world in general. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led captive away into all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down the Gentiles, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. 70 AD, but there's a gap for the church age, which you don't get from this. The church age doesn't really begin until, let's see now, we go into Acts of the Apostles, and I've just spent the last six months teaching Acts 1 to 11, I'll start chapter 12 tomorrow. They're getting saved from Acts 1 to 12 by believing in the Lord. They come in different routes, but they're still getting saved the same way. But they're not called Christians until... Acts 11, 26, 27, thereabouts. So you've got a gap for the church age, which will be uh, given to Paul, which is where we get the gospel of the grace of God. Look at uh, 25. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon, and in the stars and upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear 
and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Second advent, not the rapture, not 70 AD. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud of power and great glory. Tribulation saints, okay, fair enough. Those on the earth which are hiding themselves in the caves, absolutely. The church, the bride of Christ, no way. <clears throat> it's impossible. Absolutely impossible. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption, draweth nigh. Tribulation saints without any doubt. 36. Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man, to escape deception and apostasy, to get rewards from the Lord, not lashes from the Lord. Luke chapter 12. So a crash course. I've got maybe five minutes before my battery cuts out just to wrap this message up that I believe that the church will not go through the tribulation. I believe the church will be raptured. We will be spared the great tribulation. And by the grace of God, if we are saved, if we believe on him, we will be spared. God's anger, his outpouring of wrath on a wicked and unbelieving world.